When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, Loose Ends, the spin-off podcast from our weekly true crime podcast, which at this point is numbering in the mid-50s. I'm Paul Verhoeven, and my dad, John Verhoeven, is over in Sydney, sadly. Dad, did you enjoy being down in Melbourne and hanging out with us for the first time in God knows how long? God does know how long, if you believe in God. It was wonderful. We had a great time. Three nights. Mm-hmm. And thank you very much to you and Tegan for your incredible and insatiable hospitality. It was, well, insatiable is an odd word. It was a really, really fun trip. You guys are excellent to have mm-hmm. over. Um, thank you. Do, any any highlights from the trip that you can think of? I guess um, apart from going to the, all the great museums and galleries and having the fine coffee and food. Yeah. And going to the wonderful Pran. Is it Pran or Paran? It's Paran. Oh, I got them wrong. Paran, uh, the Paran markets, which are really good, except weirdly they close on a Monday and a Wednesday, which is kind yeah. of bizarre. Um, but I think probably the high point um, is that you caught a fly with your hand. So, listeners, that doesn't sound that exciting. We all catch flies. In fact, in China, many years ago, they got every single person to catch one fly with chopsticks. What the fuck are you talking about? They, they tried, they wanted everyone to use chopsticks, but no one could. I mean, they can all use chopsticks, but can you imagine actually trying to catch a fly with chopsticks in midair? Impossible. What you... But what right. I saw you do uh-huh. is I actually was watching a fly. I was actually, it's weird, I was actually watching a fly flying around the room, mm-hmm. and then it kind of came over near you, in a, in, and in a micro flash, in fact, you would have needed special ultra high-speed photography to have captured what you did. So one minute this fly is flying at about an altitude of, I guess, two metres. Altitude, yeah. And, I mean, altitude is a relative term. At two metres, if you're a fly, that would be considered very high. Mm. I mean, the equivalent, if you're a human flying at that equivalent height, could be a 1,000 feet. I'm just pulling figures out of the air okay a bit a bit like how you what you did with the fly in fact i was aware that the fly was flying it was in motion buzzing around and flies are a bugger to catch aren't they normally yeah yeah so normally. you saw it but because of your incredible karate skills <laughs> no i'm not joking i'm not i'm not pissing in your pocket even though uh. a dojo well hang on what's your uniform called uh, it's, it's like a dogie, but you don't okay, say that. Uh, Even yeah. though the dogie's got no pockets. So I'm not pissing in your pockets. And just snap. 
instantaneously that fly was taken out of existence. It was incredible. I guess that's the high point and everything else was kind of beneath that. Well, I've been trying to work on my reflexes, but yeah, it's been four and a half, maybe five months of karate, three nights mm. a week. I've been going pretty hard. I no, didn't I realize right. it because I didn't even see the fly. I just saw something move, grabbed it, and then you, you were like, Paul. It's extraordinary, Paul. It's extraordinary what our listeners listen to in terms of what we talk about. It's lovely. Um, but do you recall you put out a question a little while ago about how how many minutes or hours have we done? For our entire season, like the whole yes, since the you, beginning, someone has written. Out? Someone wrote to me. It's such a large number that I'm in awe, and I'm going to put it out there and say, Catherine, thank you very much for all the research you did. God knows how you did it, mm. but here's the total, everyone: five thousand five hundred and fifty-seven point six five minutes total podcast time for loose units. Hang on, hang on, hang on. How many hours is that? Uh, divide it by 60 approximately. So hang on, I'm getting the calculator. What number is that again? 5557.65 yeah. divided by 60. 5557.65 divided by 60 equals all right, 92.62 hours. That's two weeks. And that's half as long as the final half hour of Return of the King. I really think... That's a lot. I mean, okay, so when we hit 100 hours, that's a pretty big deal. We've, you know, we've got a lot of listeners, got a little... Mm. Got a, but 100 hours, I mean, nothing I've made, nothing you've made. I mean, how many hours we... Okay, here's an interesting point. How many hours do you think you spent doing active policing? I'm not talking just sitting around waiting. I mean, like, actually mm. arresting people. Great I'm trying question. to figure out whether... Okay, so the question is, when will you have talked about policing more than you've done it? Oh, I think that's... I think we've, we've gone beyond that. Uh, and, and, and kind of more so in terms of if you roll my entire 10 years in the fire brigade yeah. into minutes of actual work. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's, let's talk about not heading to and coming back from. Let's talk about actual firefighting or actual rescues. Yeah. It's, um, it, it pales into insignificance compared to the, num- the amount of minutes we've been talking about these topics which is amazing because the listeners have that wonderful, I guess, benefit of experiencing the meaty, um, the meatiness of the, uh, is there such a word? Meatiness. 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 So, yes. Um, So, yeah. But look, Paul, um, in the last uh, 24 hours or so, Mm Mm-hmm. Or for the listeners, in the last forty-eight hours or so, something exciting has happened in in the world of Australian. I'm not going to say crime history, but there's a certain topic that's been buzzing around the airwaves. It, it's been on the national news last night. Yeah, this is interesting. So you basically got in touch and said, "Paul, have you read ABC News?" Uh, and you shot me a link to an article. And this story is everywhere, and I've not heard of this somehow, but it's all anyone's talking about in the world of true crime right now. But yeah, you shot me this. Uh, and can you fill me in? Because I just, I mean, it is literally everywhere right now. What, what, what is this story? Well, it's the story of um, his name. They call him Summerton Man. And the story is around about 70 years ago, a man in South Australia was found Um kind of propped up against a wall down on the beach in Adelaide. Uh-huh. And to this day, they don't know who 
who he was or is. And there's been a lot of conjecture. And some people have made it a lifelong ambition to unearth this particularly kind of poignant story. The police at the time did endeavour somewhat to try and, you know, try to identify the person. Um, But yesterday, um, as per all the major news threads in this country, Mm -hmm. Summerton Man was exhumed, which is um, truly fascinating. And on the ABC News last night, so they began the exhumation. Now, just to exhume a body, you cannot imagine, you cannot comprehend, listeners, the paperwork. You can't just go and, you know, pull a Mulder and Scully in episode one of the X-Files and just, you know, just dig it up and apologize later. I'm assuming this is a... I mean, first of all, how long does it take to get the paperwork through for this kind of thing? I'd say that this has been in the offing for some time. And interestingly enough, um, one of the unsolved um, sort of squads that works on unsolved cases um, has been involved in this particular case. But So very, very early yesterday morning, or for the listeners, two mornings ago. So that make, makes it Wednesday morning around about 5 a.m. in South Australia. They had a small excavator that began the process, the arduous and very delicate process of firstly taking away the the tombstone. And the tombstone actually read words to the effect, unknown unknown man or something like that, tomb of the unknown. It's kind of really bizarre. That's what was on the tombstone. And because they never ever knew who this person was. Of course, once you... um, remove the, the tombstone and you then have to very, very delicately dig down and the, the excavator operator would have been highly skilled because at a certain point they reach the coffin. But the coffin over years, of course, turns into virtually nothing. It becomes a part of the earth and yeah. it collapses in on the, on the deceased. And of course, uh, decomposition takes place and what you're generally left with in my experience because as you know Paul I've been involved in some pretty horrific exhumations um, you ultimately come across the skeleton and what they're hoping is that they'll have enough DNA to begin the process but for them to be able to identify this guy using DNA they need people that would be related to him on file and that's where this kind of story you sent me is really delving because basically so this is on abc news um you know it was posted as of now like yeah like a couple of hours ago Mm. basically the 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 idea is i'm just going to read here uh, police working on the case of the Summerton Man have successfully completed the first stage of their renewed attempt to identify him. Yesterday, the mystery man's remains were exhumed from their resting place in Adelaide's West Terrace cere- uh, Ceremony? Cemetery. Despite fears that there may have been little left after more than 70 years in a coffin, police declared the delicate dig had gone smoothly and that his complete remains had been unearthed, but as one hurdle is cleared, another now looms. According to one of the case's most avid followers, the forensic side of the investigation could take months. And then it goes on to talk about, yes, they are trying to to find a living relative a couple of things paul Hmm. when they exhumed the body yesterday it was given it was given great revenance or reverence reverence yeah uh so you had four pallbearers that would have worked i imagine for a particular funeral company at the very front of the small cortege was a female police officer in full uniform and at the back of the coffin 
behind the four guys that were actually shouldering the coffin was another police officer. So that in itself is interesting. It also is very important for continuity of evidence. Okay? Mm. So they can't afford to make any mistakes. They, they can never afford to be any um, sort of um, skullduggery. Imagine if someone planted false DNA, whatever. The interesting thing for the for the viewers, of course, is that was the condition of the coffin. And I'm probably stating the bleeding obvious to most people, but just so we're all aware of this, mm. they then they had another coffin waiting by the graveside, brand new coffin. They even went to the trouble of putting another um, name plaque on top of the new coffin. And it basically said, the unknown man, or words to that effect, which I find fascinating. So when they came out into the view of the of the media, um, you know, he was presented, you, you didn't get to see the remains because they were inside a brand new coffin. And mm-hmm. it, it kind of, it was pretty neat. But Paul, I sent you some photographs. Now, this is the part of the story that we, you, me, and the Loose Units fans uh, and amateur uh, sleuths, this is the part of the story that I find fascinating, is that they found in a railway locker Mm -hmm. a bag. And in that bag, they found contents that belonged to him. So basically back in Somerton in suburban Adelaide, mm. they found this body December 1, 1948. This bag is purported to belong to this person. Is that correct. correct? Yeah. Okay. So in order to identify the person, theoretically, this bag could have a whole bunch of stuff that... And wh- Sorry, where did you get the picture of the bag from? It's just available on all, all news outlets. Oh, yep. Here it is. I've got it right in front of me. Mm. Okay. Now, there are two yeah. photos I've sent you. One of them is of a brown suitcase. Yep. And then they've put all his belongings to the front of the suitcase. Uh-huh. It has an exhibit number, which is standard yep. police protocol. A48605, I see it. Yep. 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 So you can clearly see, Paul, mm-hmm. various items. Now, I have studied those items in some detail. Uh huh. Now, go to the next photo. Sure. Here we go. And tell me what you can see. Uh, the next photo is, is it with the knives? Yeah. And the pencils. Right. And there's a knife, but check out the blade of the knife. Uh, it's kind of like a box cutter, but it's truncated. It's got like a pearl handle, like a kind of... A- yeah, it's, that's xylonite, uh, which is a 1930s slash 40s synthetic material. It was made to look like ivory. Um, and it went under various trade names like Ivorex, Ivorine, etc. Mm. But notice how... He has built a sheath for the knife. What's that made of? I think it. It if I was, if I was sort of. I, I mean, I don't have access to the materials, but what it reminds me of mm-hmm. is if you got masking tape and just yeah. wrapped it round and round and round. And he has. It's a handmade, homemade sheath, sheath. Yeah. and he's got one on the scissors as well, and one on the scissors. Mm. Now. That's interesting, that knife. That's what has really got me thinking. It is a knife that has been cut down or possibly broken. So, Paul, um, 
What What are your initial thoughts? So, okay, because it's such a big story and I haven't actually done the research because I got ambushed with this one, that's fine. It does mean that I'm sitting here going, look, um, what could be the big deal about this? I mean, I'm looking through this briefcase. There's a small silver tray, the spoon. I mean, I see this tray and the spoon and I think heroin. Uh, probably not. There's glue, uh, shaving kit. And yeah, then there's the knife. I mean, why would... Okay, the question is, why would you have to cut down a knife? If you're being searched or frisked, you might want a kind of smaller knife, I guess. Um, I mean, the superglue, because I'm so paranoid and true crimey, the superglue, you know, you put superglue on stuff to kind of create fumes to get fingerprints to come out. I kept thinking about that stuff. Um, There's... If you look at the first photo with the briefcase, he's got boot polish... Uh, what now? I can't tell what this is. Oh no, sorry, I can. The thing with the red leather kind of tongue on it and the metal handle—it's got like a black strap. It's above the green soap mm. container. Can you, you know see what that? that is? Yep. Is that for um cleaning shoes? You are so sweet. That's that's called a strop. It's made of leather, and that is specifically and the only purpose for that yep. is to sharpen his cutthroat razor, which is above that. Oh shit! Okay, so that's what the thing in the black container is. Okay, what? Okay, here's a question: What could a small container of is that? Oh, maybe it's shaving cream and not super glue. Uh, super glue actually hadn't been invented then, <laughs> okay. but I'll bet you my left testicle, Paul, uh-huh. that two objects beneath the the exhibit number. Yeah, that brush mm-hmm. is a fingerprint brush. And I don't know whether anyone has has noticed that. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ah, uh, the one with the brown handle like a cigar? Correct. Okay, but yeah, there's a pencil below it. There's a definitely a shaving cream brush above it. 
Um, but yeah, you think that's a fingerprint brush. Mm. So the question is, why would a let's say he's a civilian, right? Mm. Why would he need a fingerprint brush? Mm. Wouldn't my gut feeling mm-hmm. is that um, that brush is extremely unusual. It's not an artist's brush. I mean, the only other thing it could be for, and this is going to sound a little bit odd, is for makeup, his own makeup, or something far more sinister than that, that is, is quite, quite horrific to even contemplate. But there's a portable coat hanger. You see that? Yep. That, yes, that's what that is. The okay. wire thing off to the right. They sort of spring open and, and the strop, the soap container, the kiwi brown boot polish, mm-hmm. the spoon. Now, and there's a little container and there's some, some envelopes, some paperwork, but there was also a book of the Rubiat Okayam, which is a very famous book. And there was a section of verse torn out of it and that was found during the second post-mortem secreted deeply in one of his pockets they pulled out this segment of a poem and if you want to read the poem or that segment it kind of talks about having had a good life and end days and it's kind of slightly I would have to say slightly suicidal but the one thing we're not also getting to hear about is how he actually died. Okay. Uh, they haven't... I don't know whether there were any suspicious circumstances. Which brings me back, Paul, to that knife. Now, there has been speculation over the years that he, in fact, was a spy. Based on what? The fact that he, there's just no record of him. <clears throat> it's very unusual for there to be no record of a person. Um... He just is this person, an enigma. That, and when he died and he was propped up against a sea wall in Adelaide down by the bay, mm. he was dressed in a suit and tie. And he was just sitting there. I mean, the whole thing is quite surreal. Can I read something? Yes. Um, this is from the uh, Wikipedia page on uh, the Summit Man, which is called the Tamam Shud case. There has been persistent speculation that the dead man was a spy due to the circumstances and and historical context of his death. At least two sites relatively close to Adelaide were of interest to spies, the Radium Hill Uranium Mine and the Woomera Test Range, an Anglo-Australian military resource facility. The man's death also coincided with a reorganisation of Australian security agencies, which would culminate the following year with the founding of the Australian Security Intelligence Organisation, ASIO. This would be followed by a crackdown on Soviet espionage in Australia, which was revealed by intercepts of Soviet communications under the Verona Project. I mean, is there anything in there apart from, you know, what if he was a spy, to suggest he was a spy? Um, I mean, does the, okay, so the fingerprint brush, um, a, a knife, I mean, do these things really prove anything well, at all? Okay, here, here's something that I've been thinking about. Yeah. And I'd like to put this to you and the listeners. Um, I'm, I've been really focused on the knife. Mm. It's clearly a broken knife. It was a bread and butter knife. Okay, I'm, I'm an antique dealer. I've dealt in... I've, I know what I've this. actually dad I've actually I think I may have used this exact type mm. of knife so yeah. you're saying he he snapped the blade the, sharpened the, it look that blade just did not snap 
there's a lot of give in those blades. They're very flexible. Mm. To, to make a blade snap, it either would have to have been used in the commission of an offence mm-hmm. and it had it broken off or he broke it off on purpose. I mean, it's such a weird short blade. There is, it's not for, it's not for, for, for eating. It's not for, you know, it's. Look at that curve, by the way. So you can no, see. it's weird. It's weird. It's, it's not, it's not an even cut. It's got a slight no, upwards quite curve. it's bizarre. Now, here's yeah. the thing. This is what I want to say to you, Paul. Yep. And the listeners. Mm. I would like, if I went back in time, mm-hmm. what I would be looking at, I would be looking at every single crime committed probably within that state, but definitely within, say, maybe a 50-mile radius. Mm-hmm. Every single crime that had been committed where a knife had been used. Yeah. Because in my opinion, that knife would have left a very, very unique wound or wounds to the victim. And he really, really... That knife means a lot to him. Because why on earth would he make a sheath for it? And he's done the same with the scissors. the scissors. Let's say you were some kind of... Let's say he was a smuggler, right? Um, there are three pencils here of kind of what look like different types of pencils. You could mark down things in manifests. You could open boxes uh, with... Because I was looking at that shape thinking box cutter. Mm. Um, is it possible that he's just like a some sort of thief? Um, uh, possible. The brush has completely thrown me. Like it's just so bizarre. It's not yeah. funny. But here's the thing, Paul. Are you aware that they put out a... When they found that section of the poem, mm-hmm. they put out sort of a like an all-points bulletin to, through the press, etc., back as you would in those days, and a gentleman came forward. He had the Rubiat Okayam book in the back of his car with that exact section torn out that was found on the deceased. Right. Which is really interesting. But here's... Here's the most fascinating part of this entire story that I don't think you know about yet. And that is that to this day, there is a kind of a code, uh, which they've never been able to decipher, which was in the back of one of the books. Now, I've looked at the photographs of the code and I've been racking my brain thinking about it because let's face it, sometimes it's good to bring new eyes into something, isn't it? To get lots and lots of different people to look at things because sometimes people see things that no one else saw that's just right there. Um, and I haven't read or done a lot of research as to all the theories that have been postulated, but you know, don't you think it's just so fascinating to, to be able to look into this guy's life and see these these objects that you know were part of his life? And I mean, something weird is that I'm looking through the um, the entry... Talking about the discovery of the suitcase and uh, the brush has come up, but they're, they're saying it's something else. So it's saying, saying, in the case where a red checkered dressing gown, a size seven, red felt pair of slippers, four pairs of underpants, pajamas, shaving items, a light brown pair of trousers with sand in the cuffs. That's interesting. An electrician screwdriver, a table knife cut down into a short, sharp instrument. Bang on. A pair of scissors with sharpened points. I didn't know the points were sharpened. That's, That's interesting. That's fascinating. It, isn't it? Mm. A small square of zinc thought to have been used as a protective sheath for the knife and scissors and a stenciling brush as used by third officers on merchant ships for stenciling cargo. Mm. 
interesting. So hang on. So why would you need a brush for stenciling mm. cargo? But, um, yeah, but there's no looking at the at the the brush, the um, the fur, the or you know the the fibers, which the bristles, yeah, yeah, the bristles that are very very fine. I'm going out on a limb here. I'm going to say they're badger bristles. Because mm-hmm. that's what we used to use. Poor old I've painted, I've, yeah, I've painted with a badger badger hairbrush. That mm. does look. It's a very, very, very specific uh, brush, and I'm I'm surprised that there hasn't been a lot more discussion on and and that that you know if you if you're going to talk a shortened knife or a shim, is it a shim? Shiv. Oh God, you and I have we've gone through this before, haven't we? Every time I get it wrong, and you always. Correct me, and you're right. A shiv, I mean, that to me kind of indicates maybe some jail time or someone okay. that is trained in the art of killing. Mm. So the cutthroat mm, reminds me a little bit of that story, Paul, about the mutilator, one that we've never discussed on a podcast because that's a sort of a strictly a live show story. Um, but you recall the, the graphic detail of that particular, you know, remember that MO, the guy that used to. Well, maybe we shouldn't talk about it, but horrific story. He, and he used a, you know, a, a cutthroat to delicately remove. Ah, yes. Mm. Yes, yes. Oh, by the way, poison is what they think it was. So this is from the pathologist. I'm quite convinced the death could not have been natural. The poison I suggested was a barbiturate or a soluble hyptonic. Although poisoning remained a prime suspicion that... Oh, so the last thing he ate was like a Cornish pasty, and they're saying the Cornish pasty was not believed to be the source of the poison because... They think he ate it three hours before his death. Mm. Uh, but other than that, the coroner was unable to reach a conclusion as to the man's identity, cause of death, or whether the man was seen alive at Summerton Beach on the evening of 30th of November was the same man, as nobody had seen his face at that time. Uh, so the body was embalmed on the 10th of December, 1948, and uh, a couple of days ago, exhumed. So it has remained interred for now, over seven that, years. That's so fascinating, Paul, that they embalmed the body because, I mean, that to me is yeah. exceptionally unusual. Why? You normally never embalm a body unless it's going into a crypt. It's very expensive. The state would have had to have paid for it. I imagine they embalmed the body. I believe that they knew that one day it would be exhumed. And I think that's 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 on the money. Okay, so they wanted to kind of just pause... Yes, the kind pause of... decomposition. Yep. Um, you know that Mussolini's body, um, which has been in state for a long, long time, mm. every year they re, they re, re-embalm him. They drain him every year. Yeah. Because you can go and visit him and, and say hi. Um, he, you, you will not get a response. It but, wasn't a great dude. I wouldn't want to talk to him anyway. But yeah, I see no, what you mean. But so people, people, you know, they they do like to go and see uh, these people that uh, yeah. that you know have 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 a history in these countries, mm-hmm. and um, and it's simply a matter of continually regenerating, re-embalming, and and who knows how long the body can last. Yeah. Um, I mean, look at mummification in ancient Egypt. Perhaps not the best example. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, okay. So, what 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 are you hoping or thinking will come out of this exhumation and the next stage, which is the forensics stage of this mm. process? Look, they've only got the bones, mm. uh, I, I imagine. Although they did say the body's in pretty good nick, so I'm not quite sure what that means. But 
if there are no samples of that particular strain of DNA yeah. on record, it's um, it's not going to get us any closer to the truth as to who he was. Mm. But don't forget, Paul, that if you wanted to commit the perfect crime, you would go to another country as an assassin. Uh-huh. You'd get off a plane. You would walk into a city, be it broad daylight or nighttime. You would locate your target. You would have them walking on the street, would be the best thing to do. Yep. And you would then um, kill them from behind, probably with a with a, with a few well orchestrated and well aimed uh, stab wounds. Yep. You would then hop in the nearest cab, hot foot back to the airport, and leave the country. So you have got no connection with the deceased. That is the that's the crux. And the first recorded case in New South Wales of an international assassin. They only found out that this assassin had come into a country, into this country, into this city, and killed someone when he was heading back to the airport. A concrete truck was reversing out of a driveway near the airport, and he hit the concrete truck and was killed instantly. And they they worked out through a process of very, very good police work that he was, in fact, an international assassin. He was a hitman. Right. Now, that's really, really smart. He has no ties to the country, to the, the victim, because that's how most murders are solved. Because the chances are that if anyone is going to get killed, it's probably going to be by someone you know. Yes. Which kind of narrows it down a lot. And with 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 the surveillance systems and all the, the things out there that can triangulate and you know, God, it's 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 mighty difficult. So that that is why, you know, if you're going to get someone bumped off, um, make sure you use someone from another country. Maybe what thrills us about the Summerton man is the fact that it probably couldn't happen now. You probably couldn't just have, you know, some stranger who you can't place. I mean, especially in the Western world with the, yeah, with the technology we have, mm. you know. Mm. It's really fascinating, Paul. And I have a feeling that this particular case, I just think the name Summerton is kind of, it conjures up this, for me, like it's it's the bog man or the peat man or... Yeah, you know it's so fascinating, and and it's great to have a mystery that is unsolved, and we all love unsolved mysteries. And I thought, Paul, it was really great for you and me to to talk about this today while it's still coursing through the veins of our of our listeners. And and yeah. for those of you overseas that are listening to this, you know, do do your own little bit of research and kind of get a sense. And 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 I commend all of you to have a look at the contents of the bags, and we'd love to hear, um, no doubt, lots of opinions that we haven't canvassed. Hundred percent. Weigh in. Let us know what you think. Uh, you know, do you kind of? We like armchair detectives, so I'm sure the thing is, Dad. This feels like one of those cases that everyone listening will already be well across. Mm, mm. So I'd like to hear the theories of people who have been speculating for literally decades. I mean, 1948. You know, that is a long that is a long time to start building up theories. Yeah. So yeah. another little tiny thing, Paul, and this is kind of how my brain works. But I would like to know. Mm what colour shoes he had on, whether they be brown or black, and did they correspond with the colour of the boot polish? Shit, that's a good question. I because mean, can we... Yeah. If they didn't, who's to say that he did not use the shoe polish as a blackening agent for his nefarious activities? 
It's so fascinating. I'm looking here. It uh, doesn't say. It doesn't say. Look, someone will know. The fact is that someone will know. So hopefully we can solve this. Let's just kind of crowdsource the solution to this crime. And if anyone has any kind of insights or anything, let us know. But, you know, this is, I mean, this is all over the news right now. I love that an old, well, I don't love because someone got killed, but I love that an old murder can, you know, kind of remain so current. So feel free to kind of weigh in with your speculation about the Somerton Man and uh, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Loose Units, Loose Ends. We'll be back on Monday. No, we'll be back on Tuesday. It's been a really long day. We'll be back on Tuesday with a brand new episode of Loose Units. I'll see you later, everyone. Bye, Dad. Bye, mate. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.